there, there's even more opportunity now to create spaces of interiority. So spaces that feel safe uh, within the city, spaces that create opportunities for smaller types of groups and not like vast buildings, mm. you know. Kia ora and welcome to PhD Unpacked Season 1.5. In season one of PhD Unpacked, we looked at some Aotearoa-based, thought-provoking and impactful PhD research. I think to me that is the huge message from this research, that even someone who's been through this horrible, traumatic experience has still got something to give and is still hopeful in and of themselves that they can carry on and live a life that is meaningful and honour their friends' memory. In season 1.5, we continue with our goal to make research accessible and understandable for the general public so that the mahi of these researchers can be shared more widely. Season 1.5 will tackle the topic of the built environment and seek to understand how the spaces we find ourselves in impact our emotions and sense of identity and affect how we relate to others. While I sat in the room with the authors and conducted the interviews, I also exist as the narrator. Whenever you hear this beat, You know I'm coming in to piece together two parts of the interview. Today we're joined by Kudzai Farusa. Kudzai moved to Aotearoa to study in 2018. She is originally from Zimbabwe and she has studied abroad in Brighton. After completing her Masters of Interior Architecture, she now works at Canemail as a Sales and Design Support Manager. We discuss their 2020 Masters thesis titled Inside Out, the role of interior architects in providing opportunities for social and cultural development in the urban interior. I started off by asking her what drew her to architecture. I think I've always been interested in architecture, but uh, focusing more more so in on the interior side of it. And when I say that, it means... I think interior architecture focuses more on rebuilding what what is existing. So not building from scratch, but you know, uh, as we go on, we keep we we have to recycle or, or um, reuse the buildings that exist mm. um, in, in in our cities. So I think interior architecture focuses on making use of um, existing buildings and in existing infrastructure that we can make use of in the future so I think that was always interesting to me and I needed to explore that mm -hmm. a little bit more and yeah that brought me to writing a thesis in that for my master's amazing yeah. and uh, what was it about Porirua Harbour in particular that drew you to write about that space and that community I think there was there's just so much potential in Porirua to start with, it's uh, one of the most youthful cities in New Zealand. Um, I think, don't check my facts, but um, forty percent of the population is actually under the age of twenty-five. Mm -hmm. So much potential, um, and history-wise, it's so rich in history. It's beautiful. The harbor is beautiful. Um, it's just unfortunate that it's polluted and there's so much surrounding it but it's it's a it's a it's a youthful city mm -hmm. um with so much uh, cultural diversity as well so i was definitely quite interested in that um now at the beginning of every episode um we look at some definitions and concepts from the research being discussed mm -hmm. 
One of the main themes throughout your thesis is this concept of the urban interior. So can you explain to us what uh, what this urban interior is? Okay, so an urban interior, I would say, is a space that kinds of, kind of breaks the barrier between architecture and as well as interior spaces. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it kind of opens up to accommodate and connect people and uh, creates an extension of a program. Um, so an example would of this would be sort of like a market, like the night markets that we have here in Wellington on Fridays, where people can meet or bump into each other mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of like a temporary structure mm-hmm. yeah, within the city. That's yeah. so interesting yeah. that it gives people this sense of belonging within a you know, larger yeah. structure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Another term you use is artificial cities. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to understand what this is and, and what the purpose of an artificial city is. So artificial cities, from my understanding, were are mainly cities that don't necessarily happen organically. They haven't formed organically and they're designed deliberately by designers or planners to kind of cater for human uses. So, for example, I would say Parua is a is a, a an artificial city because it was sort of designed to cater for vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and the opposite of an artificial city would be a, an organic city, sort of like Rome, where mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily planned, mm-hmm. um, but then there are certain historical aspects kind of formed the city and it happened organically, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Same mm-hmm. with like, like Paris, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's based around the sewage system. Yeah. And and. You can see when you go to Paris, if you've ever been, that it was obviously very planned. That was very intentional Mm -hmm. for certain uses where Mm -hmm. where a place like Portadour, for example, uh, it was made for work. You know, it was made as a port city. So it doesn't have that same uh, different uses visible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, And the last thing I believe would be important to define is is architectural empathy. So can you explain that? Yeah, sure. So I would say architectural empathy is... Considering people, considering culture, considering communities when designing um, anything, um, I think this was this is like very important, especially when it comes to city planning, to really look at the community and what they want, and having empathy for those things that they might need, and not ignoring the fact that. You, they might not be relevant to mm-hmm. everyone or every culture. For example, in Porirua, it was definitely important to to have architectural empathy and think of the Maori culture and how this can kind of inform the design of a city. Yeah. 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 Interesting. <laughs> in early subsection within your thesis was titled cultural awareness. Mm. I wanted to dive into this topic, especially with you as somebody who has moved to Aotearoa to study. I also thought it was interesting because as you read your thesis, Maori histories are so central and it sets the tone of your work. So as Toiwi or someone who did not grow up in Aotearoa, why was it fundamental that you incorporated tikanga and how did you navigate that space as someone who is not Maori? 
Uh, I definitely had to take a step back and realize that it was a learning opportunity for me as well. And it was, I think it was one of the best parts of writing the thesis because I was learning so much as I was doing this. And um, I had to learn so much about the culture, Maori tikanga, customs, ways of doing things, as well as the iwi that I um, was in the area that I was looking at mm-hmm. and understanding their needs and the, their role in in, in the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was definitely important for me to, to st- take a step back and look for people who would give me that knowledge uh, and provide all those things that I need before even writing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. I, I think that's so important that you say that because a lot of the time I think visitors, you know, can come here or people who c- can move here. Mm. Um, and it's nice to know that it's so um open that yeah. Māori are the tangata whenua, yeah. that people know that it's important that they, you know, look into that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the three criteria for your design proposal was a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Again, as somebody who moved to Aotearoa, did you find that learning about the Indigenous histories and the manu whenua of Porirua helped create your own sense of personal belonging in this space? Yeah, definitely. I think coming from uh, a a, a, a similar country that was kind of colonized or had some some degree of uh, Western influence, there were definitely some parallels or um, similarities mm-hmm. in indigenous cultures. And I think I definitely could relate to some of the things that happened and the needs of the community. So I think, yes, it, I did get some sense of belonging and I could relate to certain issues. Do you think that while you were creating this work, you said that you could draw parallels, you thought back to Zimbabwe or mm-hmm. you know places that you spent growing up and thought how similar things could be, you know, similar research could be taken in those spaces or this idea that history should be seen in the landscape. Do you think you, you thought back upon those you know, those things? Yeah, definitely. I could easily do, write a similar thesis for Zimbabwe, honestly, and look at and and have the same methodology I, I had for, for um, a different country mm-hmm. or other colonized countries, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did you go about learning about Manafenua and Maori histories within Porirua? Um, I was fortunate enough to have uh, a supervisor who was well informed. She had had a couple of students in the past who had looked into these topics. So I had a vast number of people that I was referred to, as well as uh, some people within the iwi I was working with, which is um, Ngatito Rangatira. And I managed to meet with them and talk about the history mm-hmm. um uh, and about you know things in the city mm-hmm. that would like they would like to be changed or highlighted or uh, celebrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think it was definitely important, like I said earlier, that before I write anything or put anything on paper, uh, to really get in the community, learn, understand, and design or take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you just highlighted the importance of having academics in the space that have access to that knowledge. You know, you spoke about your supervisor who already knew a few people that she could refer you to. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's just so important that we have those people in those spaces. 
So Te Ao Māori ways of thinking can be seen from the very start of your thesis. You begin with a guiding whakatauki, mehuri whakamuri, ka titiru whakamua. By remembering the past, we can plan for the future. Why do you think it is so important that we look to the past to inform decisions for the future? In this case, especially when it comes to design or architecture, when we're learning, a lot of it is referred back to the past. Uh, I mean, people who've studied architecture will know that Le Corbusier, who's a a French architect, is referred to so many (laughs) times. And, you know, it's because his work is timeless. So I think it's very important to look at the past, to look at history and how things can be replicated in this 21st century. And because the basis or the fundamentals of design or whatever it is, of culture, Uh, have been everything's been done before it's just about redoing it and redoing it for a specific community so I think the past or looking at the past is very important I agree I agree so one of the difficulties of existing in an audio sphere is it's hard to translate visible tangible designs into an episode more specifically design proposals in Kudzai's Masters In saying this, there was one key element of Kudzai's design that I thought was important to share. So here we discuss one of the guiding elements for her work and describe how it influenced her overall design. I I looked back at the main activities that people used to do around these areas in the 18th century and weaving was such a big thing, especially for women and I took that as a metaphor uh, within the thesis. The The overall design uh, is a weaved lattice, uh, but I, I think it was interesting to look at weaving and how this can be used uh, as a way to weave or put cultures together and put put people together and ma- whilst making something, whilst making art. Mm-hmm. And I think it was important to weave past, present and future together to bring an outcome and uh, some form of uh, design resolution. So I think it was quite important to have uh, weaving as the main design element um, uh, within within the thesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we chose your thesis for season 1.5 to highlight the communal aspects of the built environment. In your work, there is this quote that reads, Towns and cities are about human contact. Mm -hmm. One of the principal reasons why town centers are important to us is that they provide opportunities to bump into people. You based your work in Porerua. Do you think that the way that it is currently planned out allows for these chances for human contact and communal identity to be built? Yeah, so part of my research was me actually going to Porerua several times um, and walking uh, around and trying to find these spaces where I can potentially bump into people Mm. or meet people or, you know, just socialize. And um, there were so many problems with just the the way the city was designed. Uh, So to start with, a lot of the pathways are, are, are discontinued. So you get to an intersection and you don't really know where to go. As a pedestrian, there's there's so much confusion when it comes to walking around or having access. Um, I think that the the city was mainly designed with with vehicles in mind mm-hmm. um, and forgetting 
um, that pedestrians actually need pathways as well and need to have spaces where they can meet other people. Uh, so yeah, there, there are spaces uh, within the city that create these opportunities. Um, and I think I highlighted this in my thesis where uh, around this, the city center, mm -hmm. especially close to Pataka Museum, um, there are opportunities for people to kind of uh, move around and see people and socialize. Mm -hmm. uh, but the broader uh, city makes it quite quite difficult to for people to to meet and socialize yeah yeah and with a lot of councils putting public transport at the forefront do you think that the shift and focus away from vehicles will affect in in a positive way the way that um, cities are built I think another thing uh, that I highlighted was just the the amount of parking lots that mm. are there instead of just, you know, access ways for people to walk around. There's just so much parking and not enough space for people to just walk around or or just buildings for, for like so, for social kind of buildings or community buildings. So I'm hoping that if there are less cars, individual cars going into the city and more people commuting in buses, mm -hmm. this could sort of help the design of the of the city in the future. Yeah. Do you think as well, seeing that you submitted this in 2020 pre-COVID, that now that we've spent all this time inside, your idea of the urban architecture has changed, or the urban interior, I should say, has changed in the sense that it's more about how we spend time inside buildings? Um, Sorry, if that's, that's a yeah. good question, <laughs> because we've spent so much time inside. I think I feel like a lot of us now feel safer inside, mm -hmm. so as to say. But I feel like this can be translated in architecture in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think there, there's even more opportunity now to create spaces of interiority. So spaces that feel safe uh, within the city spaces that create opportunities for smaller types of groups and not like vast buildings, mm. you know. Yeah, just to create intimate spaces mm -hmm. within the city, I think it's definitely important. One of the underlying themes in your work is that culture is usually viewed as an optional extra once the quote-unquote real development is complete. What do you think are the consequences of viewing cultural dimensions as an added extra as opposed to a priority within urban planning? I think it would be uh, the result of this or the consequence would be um, less of a successful city. Um, I think um, we see that there's a lack of individuality within the city, a lack of intricacy or user-friendly qualities. Mm -hmm. And th this is also highlighted in Porirua where there are lots of different spaces where you're kind of lost. You don't know which di in which direction to go in because the city is not flowing in a way that can lead you to somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest things I found with Porirua was the fact that a lot of the buildings were, were not like faced towards the harbor so nothing leads you to the harbor mm -hmm. and which is such a shame because this is the highlight of the city is the is the water it gives life um historically so it should be celebrated so i think 
that was the consequence, especially with Parua, that it's not really celebrated for what it is mm-hmm. and what it brings. So, yeah, a lack of inter- interiority, a lack of community, and not exactly celebrating the the f- cultural diversity that we see there. Definitely. And, and you said that it might lead to a less successful city. Mm. How would you define what a su- successful city looks like? I think uh, a successful city is a walkable city. Mm. It's a it's a city with where you can experience different moments, a city where you can see communities coming together. Uh, you can see what it stands for, what people celebrate, uh, what kind of people are there, and has opportunities for people to thrive. And um, when I say people, it's everyone from all ages, mm-hmm. young to old, and a, a, a city that sort of celebrates uh, culture mm-hmm. and what it has to offer. Um, yeah, so we not only want to see the potential, but to be able to live within what a city has to offer. Absolutely. Yeah. And in saying that, can you think of another city within this country or even beyond that you would think of as a successful city that Porirua could model after? That's a difficult question mm-hmm. because I feel like it really depends on what a person is looking at when it comes to cities. But I'd always go back to Rome, mainly because I loved it so much. <laughs> but there's just so much history and it's 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 there within mm-hmm. the city. You you don't necessarily have to go and read about it or research. It's there everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. There's so much history that is uncovered and you can uncover it yourself just by walking around. And it's also a very walkable city. Yeah. It's very connected mm-hmm. and there are definitely moments where people can connect and and just enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. I've also been to Rome myself, and yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and I also think it's interesting that we have these heritage historical buildings in Aotearoa, which yeah. they can't take down, but most of them are colonial buildings. Yeah. You know, we don't have many heritage sites that hark back to Maori. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. the other multicultural. You know, d- the diverse communities that we have here. Yeah. So it'd be it would be interesting to be able to go to a city and know the story of that city. You know, Porirua is a port city. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's a lot of history there and it would be really nice to see it, um, which I think your thesis does a fantastic job of highlighting. And I mm-hmm. hope people listening um, will get to have a look if they're intrigued what yeah. that what that successful Porirua looks like yeah. you know, from your point of view. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot to explore um, within the city, uh, especially looking at ways to reimagine what a city would look like mm. without... Western influence, yeah. Absolutely. And so to end the episode, now that it's been a couple of years after submitting your thesis, what are some things that have stuck with you from your research or things that surprised you? I think one thing to note is that you never stop learning. There's just so much um, that is there to learn and it was definitely really good to explore. Uh, But I was also, I would say I'd I was also quite surprised with the lack of information or research when it comes to exploring or reimagining what a a Maori city would look like Mm -hmm. and a lack of exploration as to how to go about it. 
Uh, and I think that was quite, dif- w- that was the challenge for me, really um, exploring what what a city would look like mm-hmm. and how we can reimagine it uh, and, and also decolonize mm-hmm. a space or a city. Um, so yeah, I think if I was to ever go on and do another thesis or a PhD, I think that this would be something that I'd love to look into. And I'm, I'm really glad to see that, you know, most of the students now in, in, uh, in architecture are starting to really look at this and different ways of, of even designing mm-hmm. and looking at, you know, how ind- indigenous cultures would look at design or would look at architecture. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you once again, Kudzai, for coming on to PhD Unpacked. If you're looking to learn more, you can have a read of Kudzai's Masters, which can be found in the bio for this episode. On the final episode of season 1.5, we talked to Claire Ford about her master's thesis, Where Can I Cry? Providing for emotionality in the built environment. Our built environment gives us cues about what emotions are appropriate in that space. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we stop, we don't, we don't stop the emotion from happening, but we change our emotionality. Mm-hmm. And our emotions are expressed out of ourselves through our emotionality so if you can't have that emotionality your emotion just gets bigger Mm -hmm. and more suppressed and more harmful to keep up to date with the various podcasts and projects that coalesce are producing head to at coalesce nz on instagram and for more from us it's at phd unpacked on instagram thank you wellington access radio for the space to record the show kakite